Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. He said, The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground, and while he sleeps and rises, night and day the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The ground produces fruit on its own, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. When the crop is ready, he swings the sickle without delay, because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what should we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable may we picture it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is one of the smallest of all the seeds planted in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest under its shade. With many similar parables, he, continues, he continued to speak the word to them, as much as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Today's text is about God's kingdom growing. And so our sermon theme is the question, how does Christ's kingdom grow? But before we get into that, we have to clear up some misunderstandings. And the first misunderstanding is, what is God's kingdom? See, at this time, and even after Christ dies and rises, the disciples will say, Lord, are you going to establish your kingdom now? They wanted an earthly political kingdom. They wanted something you could touch here on this earth that they could see earthly benefits from. They wanted a kingdom in which David's son, grandson, or ancestor Jesus would put a whipping on the Romans and he would take over the Roman Empire. And as we find out, for example, like in John chapter 6, even the crowds, they wanted a government that, that would give them food. And so people get confused as to what God's kingdom is. Sadly, some Christian churches even get confused and think that if they get the right government, they can establish a utopian society and they think that's heaven on earth. Christ's kingdom is his rule in your heart. It's the invisible church that's made up of all believers that began when Adam and Eve fell into sin and in the pre-incarnate Christ promised them that he would take on human flesh through the seed of the woman and destroy the devil. So, we now understand what God's kingdom isn't. It isn't an earthly or a political kingdom or a government. It's his rule in the hearts of those who are believers. It's truly the invisible church. Now, there's some confusion about the soil as well. And Matthew records a parable that Jesus told on the same day with these crowds. He tells these parables from the boat. And it's a very famous parable because he talks about how a farmer goes out and scatters the seed and it lands on four different kinds of soil. And in that parable, the soil is people's hearts. But Mark tells a completely separate parable and the Holy Spirit intentionally had them separated that each one recorded something, a different parable because the Holy Spirit here is teaching that this is about Christ's invisible church growing. And of course, because you're a member of that invisible church, we can make some applications to you. But this is about how Christ's kingdom grows. So he's clearly talking about the invisible church in today's text. And he's talking about every Christian who comes to faith. So let's jump into our text and, and answer that question. How does Christ's kingdom grow? He said, the kingdom of God is like this. 
A man scatters seed on the ground, and while he sleeps and rises, night and day the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The ground produces fruit on its own, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. Who scatters the seed? The truth of the matter is, it's God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the seed is the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verses 14 through 15 explains this. We're told, so then how can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one about whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of peace, who preach the gospel of good things. So ultimately, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The seed is the word of God, and it's scattered throughout the earth. However, you are privileged to be God's mouthpiece. As Peter explains in his first epistle, you are a priest. And so when people worry about what's going on in this world, when they worry about what's going to go on in the next world, you have the privilege of telling them, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is how the seed is scattered throughout the world. How does it grow? The triune God spreads his word using you. Now, when I was in elementary school, one of my classmates had grown grass on a sponge and as a science experiment, and he explained it to the class, and, and I thought that was really neat. So I came home, and I took a coffee cup, a styrofoam one, and I planted grass, and it did really good. It grew. And then I thought, it needs more seeds, so it's thicker. Uh, it needs more fertilizer, and it definitely needs more soil. And I put all that on there, and it was so packed in there, and I thought, it needs more water, and I filled that cup up with water, and I killed the grass that I had. I really enjoy now growing pumpkins, but I've learned if I, I want to plant them where there's, where there's lots of sunlight, but if I, if I go out and I start pulling, pulling up on them, guess what? I'm going to kill them. I've learned as a child with seeds, if I dig them up to see if they're growing, I kill them. We once again want to make it very clear that we are talking about God's invisible church growing here and not get confused with visible churches. But if we're trying to help the seed grow, then we proclaim the word. That's it. And that's the invisible church. So the visible church, that's a little bit different. Right now in Christianity, in most communities, you'll find all kinds of different Christian denominations. That's different than the invisible church, which is made up of all believers. And why are there so many different denominations? The biggest answer is because people will not put up with sound teaching. You will often find in those churches that teach and tolerate things that contradict the word of God. In those churches, a lot of them, especially your very large churches, they're, they're really growing. They're not growing by sharing the word of God. They're stealing sheep from those other churches by giving itching ears what they want to hear. And lots of times people will choose a church not based on sound teaching, but on things like a coffee bar. Now, don't get me wrong, when we talk about sharing the word of God, and if we want to talk about our, our own congregation growing, let's just admit it. If every time a visitor came in, we were in the habit of blowing a raspberry at him and ignoring them, none of us would be shocked that, if, that no visitors ever came back. But here we're talking about the growth of the invisible church. Yet, 
visible local congregations if they want to grow. What, one of the things you can get out of this spreading the word is this. Two things they can do. Get the word right and get the word out. Share that word. The other thing we see here, so we're talking about the invisible church, but when Jesus talks about that, God built his word to work. As Isaiah says, or God says through the prophet Isaiah, my word will not return to me empty handed. God makes a promise. So we're scattering that word out and we let God take care of its growth and everything. It's supernatural. Why it takes longer in one person's heart and why it works quicker in others and why for some people they seem to be so ready and they fall away. That's God's concern. And yes, we're ready to share that word. But what happens when the invisible church finally has reached the full number, when even the last person that God planned out for them to hear that word and for it to grow has had that word? Jesus says in verse 29, when the crop is ready, he swings the sickle without delay because the harvest has come. That's when we finally get to see the full growth of the invisible church. That's when it's made visible because that's when Christ returns and we are given the new heavens and the new earth and we are given glorified bodies and everybody who rejected Christ is completely removed forever and all sin is gone for good. And so how does Christ's kingdom grow? It's the proclamation of the word. And when it has reached the full harvest, that might be tomorrow, that might be a thousand years from now, then Christ returns and he harvests it. After Jesus tells this parable, he asks the crowd in verse 30, to what should we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable may we picture it? How would you use, what analogy would you use to describe God's kingdom and its growth? Jesus begins again a new parable there. It's like a mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is one of the smallest of all the seeds planted in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows up and becomes larger than are the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of, sky, of the sky can nest under its shade. Now stop and think about that, a mustard seed. They are tiny. When did Christ's church begin? I said in time it actually began when he promised he would take on human flesh. But the New Testament church begins when the Holy Spirit comes into the virgin's womb and takes her egg and he knits the body that will be Christ. God becomes human flesh. God, their tiny little seed growing in the womb of part of his creation, part of his fallen creation so that he can redeem it. And it's amazing to think as a baby that he chooses not, for, for example, when Herod comes to kill him, instead of just destroying Herod, he chooses to use his very, very wonderful, shall we say, a stepfather, Joseph, who picks the baby Jesus up in his arms with his, with his wife, Mary, and flees to Egypt. Jesus endures all kinds of temptation, pain, sorrow, and humility for you and I so that he can save us. Then, because the wages of sin is death, because sin means we should be abandoned by God, he goes to that cross, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are abandoned. God the Son on the cross, he dies. And he rises victorious for you and I. We are told by the Apostle Paul in his first epistle to the Corinthians that there were over 500 witnesses of that resurrection. But we're told in Acts, 10 days later after Christ's ascension, that there were only 120 believers in Jerusalem. So the others must have gone to other towns. 
120 people on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter acting as the spokesman, those flaming tongues appear over their heads and 3,000 people are converted that day. So you go from the seed of Christ in the virgin's womb, that seed planted in the tomb, if you will, as the apostle Paul says in the first epistle of Corinthians, he's the first fruits to a church today that can be found all the way all over the world in every country. Some Christians have to hide because their governments or or other religions persecute them. But the word of God can be found in every country. Every country, there are members of the invisible church. But Jesus also tells us a benefit for that. We're told that when that thing grows, we're told yet when it's planted, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest under its shade. Do you realize that when Christians gather together in visible congregations and stuff, we mutually encourage and strengthen one another. And it's a benefit that we can have buildings with heating and air conditioning. But that's not the only way we nest in its branches and even unbelievers get to benefit. Christians invented orphanages. It's really sad today that now people will just simply murder the baby when there are so many Christians that would love to be able to adopt that child and show it love. Oh, Christians invented hospitals as well. And now while it's often ran by unbelievers and they're happy to drive and clergy away and many clergy sadly aren't happy to serve their sheep there. Don't kid yourself. That's a benefit of the invisible church functioning visibly in this world. What about public school? Martin Luther and his right-hand man, Philip Melanchthon, wanted the lay people to be able to read. They recognized most of them could not afford the private education that both Martin Luther's parents could afford and Philip Melanchthon's could. So they decided the government should give that education and and that would give people the basics of being able to read and write. And voila, the public school system is born. It's too bad today in our secular colleges and stuff, we are training priests of atheism to turn our children against it. Because do not kid yourself, that is one of the many benefits in which even atheists have got to nest in the trees of the visible church. And don't kid yourself, science? There are God-hating scientists today who scream out like the church deliberately withheld science. And they quote a few cases, most of the time if you study them, there's something else there. But for example, in the Reformation, the Lutheran church said, go and study the wonders of God's creation. Throughout history, Christians who have glorified God by just looking at his creation and the things he did so that they could advance medicine to help people and everything. Yes, even science today, most of the big advances that got us to the point today where even atheists now are able to make advances Most of those were done by Christians with the blessing of a church saying, please study to the glory of God. And what about our government? Nothing has produced wealth in that more than the American government since its inception in 17, basically 1777. But do you know what a tremendous influence Christianity had even on that? The idea of separation of church and state, the idea that the government isn't supposed to be uh, 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 Robin Hood robbing from the rich and taking from the poor, but that should get out of the way and give people who are willing to work the ability to make their own living and not be overtaxed by it and things like that. The idea of freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Uh, and the separation of church and state, where the government is not hindering and the, and the church is not supposed to be hindering the government either. The freedom we have As America becomes more atheistic, we have to pass more and more laws limiting your freedom because 
Atheism doesn't have the morality of Christianity. They don't feel they're answerable to a higher being. Even the United States government today has benefited from Christianity. Charitable institutions exist because of Christianity. I could go on and on. My point is, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, if you have a public school education, if you live in countries where people are not murdered or are allowed the freedom of religion, you can thank the Christian church for that. You can thank them for the freedom of speech. You're getting to enjoy its nest. And even in countries where they're persecuted, Christians are looking out for each other. So in our text today, we're told at the end, with many similar parables, he continued to speak the word to them as much as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Christ taught his parables to Christians and he taught the same parable to unbelievers. They were meant to be a teaching aid to those who would come to faith, such as the mustard seed today. And for the unbelievers, and remember, this is in Israel. These were people who should have known about the coming Messiah. They grew up hearing the scriptures and they were rejecting it. Those parables would confuse them. That's explained in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 15. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but it's not been given to them. For whoever has will be given even more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables, because even though they see, they do not see. And even though they hear, they do not hear or understand. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, you will, clear, you will hear clearly, but you will never understand. You will see clearly, but you will never perceive. Because this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, turn, and I would heal them. God's word is simple. There are places where it's more complicated and we use the simple parts of God's word to explain those passages. But amazing it is, how amazing it is that, that Christ uses things like parables to take very difficult concepts like the invisible church and make them so simple for you and I. And he's empowered you. What stories do you have that you can use to help spread the word that others can understand God's love, his salvation, his compassion? God uses you as a priest to spread his word using your imagination like that, so long as it conforms to the word of God. And so wrapping up today, we ask the question, how does Christ's kingdom grow? What well, we've seen, Christ became a human being. He took on our human flesh. He was born. He lived his life perfectly for you and I. He took the punishment you and I deserve and he died for us. And he rose again. And then he sent out the apostles and the Christians to tell the good news. And you are one of those. You get to use the gifts God has given you to share the word of God with others. And when you do, you're throwing that seed out onto the ground. And well, some people plant, some people water but you're still glorifying God, sharing his word. You receive all the benefits as all the world receives the benefit of this growing kingdom. And when everybody God has planned to bring to faith comes to faith, Christ will return and we will receive our glorified bodies and the new heavens and the new earth. What a growing, thriving, invisible church God has made you a member of. What a blessing you have to nest in its branches. Amen. And now the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.